What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Are you struggling to lose weight and keep it off? Tired of wasting time and money on starvation diets that lead to more frustration and stress? If there was a weight loss solution that could actually work for you, would you try it? Then head to golo.com. I'm Steve. I lost 138 pounds in nine months on Golo. I'm Amber. I've lost 128 pounds with Golo taking release. If you're ready to take back control of your life, head to golo.com now and see how Golo can work for you. That's G-O-L-O.com. My sleep is way better. My inflammation has gone way down. Golo saved my life. I was way overweight. That's what sent me down the path. I wanted to make sure and live for my kid. I have literally tried everything. I was on the verge of getting gastric bypass surgery, and I saw the Golo commercial, and it was the last thing I tried because it worked. Join over 2 million people who have found a better way to lose weight with Golo. Your healthier and happier life begins at Golo.com. That's G-O-L-O.com. Again, G-O-L-O.com. We made this. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded, premeditated murder. Hi everyone, welcome to another special episode of Red and Buried Podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Frankie. And we have the lovely Laurie Stevens with us today. Hi Laurie. Hi. How are you, Laurie? I'm great. It's great to be here and finally meet you. Likewise. I'm so excited because, Sarah, you don't know this as well, but Laurie listened to my Poirot podcast and sent a lovely email in about it. (laughs) She's already a way better friend to me than you've ever been. (laughs) Every episode, (laughs) I get a telling off. (laughs) And yet nothing changes. Is it... I mean, is it good, Laurie? I wouldn't know having not listened. <laughs> is it good? <laughs> it's marvellous. And I am a huge fan of David Suchet. And uh, we own the, the the whole DVD collection of all of the seasons. And it's sort of a running joke in our household that we'll, we'll watch the whole set of seasons. And then um, we just have to wait about a week. And then I can watch everything again. And I have such a short-term memory that I literally <laughs> cannot remember who did it. I'm, I'm when I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, that's the killer, isn't it? Oh no, 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 it's this killer. And I'm always going after the uh, uh, what do they call the the mm-hmm. red herrings? That's yeah. what I'm always running off after. So yeah, so w- listening to the podcast, I'm sort of reliving that who did it who did it (laughs) endlessly entertaining oh wow that's the bone of having a short-term memory that is the best part because and even I like I mean my memory is relatively good but some of them I have no idea going that's why I'm loving doing the podcast because I get to actually watch it again it's a good excuse but yeah yeah so I've got my little bio for you, Laurie, that I'm going to read out now. Okay. And again, largely taken from things online. I'm sure it's all hopefully factually accurate, but you can correct me if it's not. So Laurie Ann Stevens is an award-winning author whose novels for children and adults include Nova Lee and the Spider Secret, Some Act of Vision and Song of the Orange Moons. She grew up in North Texas, where she developed an addiction to the arts. 
As well as being a successful author and an all-round lovely person, Laurie teaches creative writing and critical reasoning at the Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. She is also a bit mad about her cat and will tap dance for reviews. So although this is an audio (laughs) medium, the tap dancing could work quite nicely. (laughs) (laughs) there you go so is that all largely correct yes that is all correct wonderful stuff another one nailed frankie well done (laughs) thank you so much and so we're largely here to talk about your new book that you've got coming out which is very exciting and i've been reading it and loving it Yay! yeah really exciting so i mean can you give our our listeners a little bit of an overview of the book yeah in fact the paperback is released today. <laughs> so exciting. Yes. Um, so this is a, a Texas dystopian thriller that um, sort of was birthed when Trump was on the campaign trail. And I was, you know, seeing a lot of really extreme rhetoric going on. <laughs> and we thought it was just temporary. And um, so I just was thinking of you know, the, the sort of hellscape that could happen if extremist politics um, took over and this sort of far fringe element in Texas who is always like in the background wanting to secede from the United States, like what yeah. would happen? What would the world look like if that really happened? And so I just came up with this girl, this young girl named Blue Bonnet, who grew up in such a society and what that would look like for for girls, especially because I tend to write about girls. And um, what happened was this sort of ironic situation where a society that was designed to, you know, protect the children is actually hurting the children most of all. I was going to say it's funny and funny absolutely isn't the right word actually, but <laughs> it was interesting reading it and obviously you wrote it a while ago. Um, it's been out in America for a while, I think, and it's um, still disturbingly topical at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right after um, the book was, was it right after or, or sort of coinciding um, with the publication? This was when the heartbeat bill passed and mm-hmm. abortions were effectively <laughs> illegal. And yeah, and so now we're living with that today. And at the same time, some laws went into effect where you no longer have to um, have a permit to carry a gun. And yeah, some other like uh, other protections uh, to keep uh, gun ownership safe in Texas were um, completely disregarded. And yeah, so it's like everything is sort of converging now. And it's um, an interesting time to be in Texas. Yeah, I'd imagine <laughs> so. <laughs> you phrased that very nicely. <laughs> I think we're all laughing because I think particularly for Sarah and I, obviously coming from the UK, it just seems such an alien concept to us about gun laws not being a thing that people seem to able to disregard and not take seriously. Because obviously in the UK, we don't, we don't have guns. It's a totally not a thing here. I mean, obviously there are hunters and things that have them, but largely doesn't really exist. And everything you just said just sounds like a really the opposite of anything good or nice. And it's just so unfathomable. I mean, our government, don't get me wrong. We have some issues over here at the moment also. <laughs> <Fuck> you. 
Oh, really? Really? Yeah. <laughs> I had <laughs> <nerve. laughs> But But when you point out things like the abortion ban and the gun law thing, it does make me feel slightly better about the things in the UK. Although arguably the abortion thing is on the rise here. But then we have some very conservative uh, people in our parliament that would love to go down the path that is happening in, in parts of America. Fortunately, we're not there, but it's just, yeah, wow. What I mean, what a, what a horrible way to have to, <laughs> to get inspiration, <laughs> you know? It's a, it's a blessing and a curse, I guess, from a creative standpoint. Yeah, I mean, in many ways, Lou Bonnet, who is the main character, she, I mean, it sounds like such a cliche. Everybody says, oh, my main character is me. But really, she was me. Like, I grew up in a very sheltered um, but loving home. And um, I just had really clear views about reality. And it took me a while to sort of, have the scales drop from my eyes. I guess it was through education, as is often the case, going to college and and sort of seeing different world views. And this is Blue, um, Blue's sort of journey outside her own small, you know, perspective. She, like a lot of kids, she has that inner antenna, you know, the the bullshit detector, and yeah. you know, she's she's she knows that some things aren't quite right, but she doesn't know exactly why and so it takes this journey away from home to sort of figure out things i was about to say about her her in a bullshit detector beautiful way of putting it because she's very reluctant to carry a gun mm-hmm. and, and her, all of her friends are like where's your gun why haven't you got your gun and you can tell that she feels very uncomfortable about it and i think that says a lot to um her character that she knows that it's not a natural thing to want to carry a weapon or an instrument of death on you, particularly mm-hmm. as a child. And, you know, not to spoil anything, because obviously everyone should go away and read this book because it's great. Running. Something happens related to the gun very early on in the story that kind of changes Blue's path entirely and sets her out on the road that wouldn't have happened if there wasn't a gun in the room. <laughs> so it's like to be said for that, potentially, you know? <laughs> right, yes. In fact, the... That whole incident that you're talking about, I don't know if we should give the spoiler or not, because it happens pretty early on. Yeah, I mean, it's up to you. You're, it's your baby. Uh, yeah, so Yeah, that's okay. But that that incident, which, you know, happens with a gun in a room, um, was based on something real life. And like you were saying, you know, the whole strange reality of growing up with guns. Like I grew up, we I don't know that we had guns in the house. But um, it was very sort of normal and accepted. And my brother was a cowboy. He rode in the rodeo. He rode bareback. And I worked the concession stands and my boots and cowboy hat. And, you know, all of that was very, very, like, normal. And yet, when I was an older teen, I think that was the first time I was handed a gun to shoot I mean, like a proper gun, not a rifle. I mean, everybody had rifles, you know, shooting things. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, and that was scary to me, that moment. And I think it was because, and I'm just now making these connections, when my little sister, who is seven years younger than I am, you know, I I had, I was already married and my little sister, I married young. (laughs) My sister, um, her boyfriend... And I think she was in ninth grade. Her boyfriend was cleaning his rifle and he shot himself in the stomach. The gun went off and he, and he 
died. And it was just this horrific experience. But at the time, I think I was pregnant or had just had my first son. And I just could not like put it in my head. I couldn't, Mm. I couldn't have space for that. And so I just sort of like put it like maybe in a corner of my brain. And so when I started writing this book, that came back to me and sort of the horror of it. And it helped sort of get me in that place that I needed to be to write this really heartbreaking scene. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, heartbreaking story all up, all the way Mm. through, to be honest. I don't know if it says something about me, but I love a dystopian novel. I think it's that little dark thing in your head of what could be, how could the world be different? Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and even with these sort of dystopian stories, you finish them, and even the ones that maybe have slightly happier endings, you still finish Mm. it, you're like, oh God, that's all awful. Yeah. (laughs) And I think I think why yours really hits hits different, as the kids say, is because it's it doesn't feel that far away from reality mm. now. It feels yeah. like it's very close and that makes it all the more disconcerting. Yeah, I think the fun thing about dystopian writing is that, you know, it's really about survival and mm. we all want to be survivors in spite of, you know, whatever, whatever life throws at us, we can survive it. And we like to see that happen. You know, it's that sort of hope uh, springs eternal. But at the same time, it it is also about the horrific things. And I think a lot of those times, a lot of times, almost maybe all of the times, the dystopian narrative, the whole setting is a sort of political satire, a reflection of really serious social issues. Yeah, that we don't want to think about. <laughs> no, it's gotten a bit sad, isn't it? I know, it's a <laughs> light-hearted conversation. I know we made promises to you, we haven't kept them. <laughs> we'll lighten it up in a minute with talks of like death row meals and burying you with stuff, and it will be much more fun <laughs> and light-hearted. There, you have written a few books at this point for both children and adults, and and this book is a, is it a YA book? That's how I've looked at it. Is it or is it a bit of both, really? I think it's a bit of both. I didn't Mm. write it as a YA book. In fact, ironically, in the first drafts, she was even younger. She was 12 because I I wanted, I wanted to sort of capture the, what is that Netflix series with the upside down world? Oh, Stranger Things. Stranger Things. Yeah. I wanted to catch that sort of Stranger Things years of, of children when they're like, starting to do things on their own and discover the world on their own um, and tackle it. And and having it, having her that age, I thought, okay, so she's really young. She's too young for YA. So now she's adult, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ironically. Um, but we, through the editing, we changed it so it would fit sort of more into um, the YA genre or, you know, adult, wherever it happened to be shelved. But it works beautifully under both. That's the thing. I think, you know, I, I often find with YA books, actually, there's a lot that read them as a grown up, you can take from them and still really, you know, they're still incredibly interesting and engaging stories and more relatable in a way because, you know, it, it harks back to a time when I was a young girl, not with a gun. But, you know, it's it's still a lot of um, the YA's aspect, I don't think is necessarily puts makes it any, you know, less relevant to an older reader, I would say. Yeah. I know, Sarah, yeah, you're a big yeah, fan of YA. Yeah. Yeah, I think quite often YA books tackle the almost tougher subjects than mm. adult fiction does. I mean, Blue Running got like 
women's rights, racial injustice, gun control, you know, these really massive themes that you don't find as much in adult books. I'm not actually sure why. I've never really thought about it. Mm. I think you're right. Mm. Yeah, I think that a lot of adult books are are more escapism, Mm. but young adult books really tackle those issues head on. Yeah. But we think the opposite. We assume the opposite. It's what's that famous quote? I can't remember who said it. Um, a very famous author. He basically said something like, "Write the book you want to write, and if it's too hard for adults, then you write it for children." Oh, that's a great. It wasn't, it wasn't Roald Dahl, but it was like someone like that, a really massive author. I think that's. It could have been Roald Dahl, actually. We'll have to look it up. Yeah, I think. It's true. I think kids are more open as well. And um, this, this is the sort of stuff they should be reading, right? This is what mm. shapes children and young adults, sorry, not children. Yeah, I wonder if it's because when you're at the kind of YA age, you're processing the world around you and you're forming your opinions and your brain's developing and kind of figuring everything out. But when you're an adult, you know the horrors of the world and you don't want to live in it <laughs> anymore. <laughs> so you look through a creative a escape. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't need, I, I just want to go a little bit more, a little bit outside of this actual world. But um, you are a teacher as well, a lecturer, sorry, not not teacher, but I teach. That's okay. You teach. <laughs> <laughs> but you teach creative writing and critical reasoning. So does that, do you take from your own lessons and advice when you're writing your own books? Or do you find that it, your experience as a writer informs the way you teach? Like, is it a bit of a full circle thing? I think definitely it's a full circle because um, when I'm teaching the creative writing courses, I'm, I'm pulling up partly the things that I um, was taught by my own mentors and um, and then also reflecting on the reality <laughs> of writing. And yeah, it all feeds into, into the courses. And then when I'm teaching, I'm constantly reminded of um, what I could be doing or what I should be doing. And it, it really does um, sort of help feed the flow of the writing process. Yeah, definitely. I think it's marvelous to be in class with creative writers because they are so inspirational in what they're doing, especially in in my workshops. I know that workshops can be pretty hellish Um, (laughs) in some universities. I've heard horror stories, but ours are super supportive and um, but also very enlightening. We don't just go for the easy stuff. We try very hard to be honest with each other, um, but in a nice way. And um, I'm always inspired by my by what my students see in each other's works and, um, you know, what, how they are encouraging. Yeah, it's fun. I like that. Um, I mean, we ask every author this, but it ties right in. What do you enjoy most and least about the writing process? Oh, what do I enjoy most, obviously, is like getting into the zone and like, that where I'm because it takes a long time for me to get there once I'm there um I feel like I'm just writing and um the the whole world just sort of falls away the real world falls away and then I'm there in the scene and I'm hearing the the characters speak it's probably because I'm speaking myself I talk out um which is why I can't write in public places because I have to (laughs) I have to, you know, talk out the dialogue to make sure it sounds right. Um, I'm, you know, like hearing voices in my head. Um, And then the least part, I think it's the expectations that people have of the writing process. And Hmm. and because, you know, I'm, I have that in the back of my head about what the writing process and, and writing schedule is supposed to look like. And I often 
don't do what is expected. Like I don't write as many words as I should be writing each day or as many pages, or I'm not writing frequently enough. Like I'm not writing every day. I had a, an early professor in college, a writing professor, and he was a marvelous professor. Um, but he, but the one thing he told me that just crushed me was, and stays with me now is this line. He said something like, if you're worried about whether you're a writer or not, look at yourself and see if you're writing. If you're not writing, then you're not a writer. And of course, I'm not writing every day. So I would ask myself, am I really a writer? <laughs> and that that is like the little ogre in my head is, is, you know, hounding me about that. So that's what I like least about it. Those those fake voices that sort of tell you you're not really a writer. I love that you said that you speak the dialogue out because one of mm. my massive pet peeves when I'm reading a book is when someone's maybe I don't know not use contractions and dialogue or something and it it sounds a bit stilted. Mm. So I'm one of these people who like reads it in my head as I read if that makes sense. Oh um, yeah totally. <laughs> so that's really interesting. <laughs> More people should do that. I think yeah. so too. <laughs> I always find as well when in a book they during the dialogue we'll use the character's name constantly and like in real yeah. life you don't do that and we're like occasionally i have on this call but like, you know it just it feels very unnatural um your teacher said to you it's so stupid because <laughs> it's like saying if you're not if you're not fighting fires are you really a firefighter and it's like well you have to have a break sometimes there's not always a fire on you know and i would think yeah. for you is it is it difficult to juggle your own creative projects versus your professional kind of lecturing and teaching does it i imagine some days you get home you're like i don't want to think about writing at all or is it just a constant thing that you do yeah definitely definitely i i think this is a, probably a lot of teachers and professors have this this challenge where you're you know you've got your teacher hat on and you're you know, you've got to make your lectures, and you've got to grade the papers. And so, yeah, I find that most, I get most of my writing done on my break. So December, January, we have a nice month break between nice. semesters and I get writing done then. And then on in the summer months, I mean, yeah, definitely. I've, one of my books, I wrote the entire first draft one summer uh, on a break. I've never been able to do that again, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like you sit down, you park your butt and you write for six hours or seven hours to, to get out the draft. But it is NaNoWriMo this month. It's November mm, 1st. And yeah. I haven't done that for 10 years, I think. So um, I decided to do it so that I could actually get some writing done, even though I'm teaching. <laughs> so wow. we'll see how that goes. I have no illusions that I'm going to write 5,000 words a day. But if I can write 500 words a day, I'll be happy. Nice to have a target regardless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And some words are better than no words, at least. So That's even right. if you do, yeah, 50 to 500 is still impressive, especially while you're teaching. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> I don't either. Maybe it's why I don't do it. <laughs> Best not to worry, not to ask too many questions. Just go along with it. <laughs> well, I read today that somewhere um, that I think it was James Joyce wrote 90 words a day. And I was wow. like, okay, I can do that. It seems glacially yeah. slow, but that's that's okay book is, these books are long how yeah. long did that take him Jesus. <laughs> 17 <Wow>. years <laughs> <laughs> that is impressive that's commitment yeah it also alongside teaching and creative writing and doing the writing side i imagine you probably read a lot as well to see different examples or just for pleasure are you a big reader 
I, I am a big reader. A lot of the times I'm reading just to um, catch up with my students and make sure <laughs> I'm reading a little bit more than they read. But I'm kind of new to the crime genre. Uh, I mean, actually, I'm very new to the crime genre. I mean, I, I tend to write in genres that you know, I have no business writing in. And, and then afterwards, I'm like, I like this. I think I'm going to read some. But I think I read my first, well, C.L. Doherty was the first like crime um, sort of fiction that I read. And then, um, which is not too long ago, it was just like a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but just recently, I read um, Wrong Place, Wrong Time. Have you heard of that? By I have heard of it. Gillian McAllister. Though. It's so good. I, ha- I happened to listen to it on Audible because um, nice. because time. Um, but it was <laughs> really, really good. So I, I thought, okay, I'm digging this. I'm going to read some more. Great. Well, that kind of leads into my next question, which was, what was the last book you read and loved? Was it that or is there anything yeah. else? Oh, definitely that. And um, and then I just started that made me look up into some other um, popular crime writers. And I found I don't know how to pronounce her name. Is it Tana French? Tana French? Yeah. I know into the wood, uh, in the yeah. woods, in the woods. And, and wow, mm. she's a stunning writer. Yeah. Have you are you familiar with her? Have you yes, read her I've one? read that I've one. I've read that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she's amazing. Good. So I'm in for some good plotting huh <laughs> oh yeah definitely I'm quite jealous you've got all these amazing crime novels in your future potentially yeah I know I feel I'd like a baby <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah well we we ask most authors that we interview what um typical crime genre trope they're sick of but mm-hmm. have have you had the opportunity to get sick <laughs> yeah I haven't gotten tired of any tropes because I'm too new, but I can yeah. say that maybe I'm sick of some titles or a particular mm-hmm. title in crime. And that is the girl who oh, yeah. title. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how many of the girl who's there are, but there's a, there seems to be a lot of the girl who titles. Yeah, that's true. Is that, is that true? <laughs> I think, yeah. yeah that, it, or variations definitely. on that. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't right. know. I think that, I mean, other than just the, the repetition of seeing it and then you know because of my poor memory like not knowing you know if i've <laughs> seen it before <laughs> if it's the same book that i saw before um but also because i guess i i'm thinking that the girls in question are not really girls but women and mm. i think it's interesting that i I'm, and that that women are calling other women girls i yeah. I, I, I don't get it i mean yeah it's nice to be called a girl sometimes but um, yeah. I think when you see it over and over and over again, it's just strange to me. Is that is yeah. it is it just an American thing or is this? A, no, a... interesting point. I've never yeah. really thought about it, but it's definitely not just an American thing. <laughs> no, yeah, we definitely do that in the UK as well. And I, this is a sweeping generalisation I'm about to make. I would say maybe it's more ra- male writers that do it, perhaps. Oh, okay. Potentially, mm. I'm thinking of the the you know the girl with the dragon tattoo. Oh yes, uh-huh. that whole series obviously as a male male author, and I think that one was probably the the biggest and first girl who, and then from there and we had the girl of, on the train. Girls are out and about doing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> They're busy, but yeah, you're right. It's an interesting distinction between girlhood and womanhood. Uh-huh. Well, I think maybe too that the girl is referring to victimhood. You know, like girls can be victimized yeah. much more easily. Um, so yeah, that's a really good point. 
Okay, so you may not be sick of any crime tropes yet, but as a writing, as a creative writing teacher, there must be some creative or some some tropes within literature in general and writing that you get sick of, or when you read it, you're like, oh, this again. What is what is a, a common thing that you see across literature that you're really sick of or really irritates you? Um, I don't think I have any. <laughs> wow, that's great. I know. <laughs> I, I don't think. I mean. Yeah, I, I don't think I can say anything publicly. Once <laughs> <laughs> a student hears and recognizes, yeah, we word. can cut it out. <laughs> There's something going on in my head. I just can't say it. Oh, <laughs> I think it's. I th- okay. I'll. I can say this. It's when um, you read people who seem to be imitating other writers and mm. um, but doing a poor job of it, like um, mm. to where it's. Yeah, that, that's all I'm going to say. Maybe we shouldn't publish that. <laughs> okay, if you're not comfortable, I can take it out. But um, I think that's a fair point, though, because I think it's a common thing. I think some writers potentially, maybe earlier on in their careers, don't feel that like they have their own voice yet. So they try and emulate mm-hmm. one that they know works and, you know, it's it's a safer bet, perhaps. But you think you're right. You can always, it doesn't ring quite as true. Yeah. I think you're safe to say that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> all good. It's not about anybody I've reviewed recently. Okay, how about <laughs> It's not about you. <laughs> <laughs> of course it's not about you. <laughs> Another question that we ask absolutely everyone, and well, actually Frankie needs to do this book because she's brilliant at it. Frankie. Oh, are we going into that already? I think we should. Okay, because I guess also I was going to say, if you had to pick a character from one of your books, you've kind of already said that Blue is you. So would you yeah. be Blue? I don't think so because I know what it feels like to be her and to believe like her and see what's going on. I think, I don't know if this is like, if this is the proper feminist thing to say, but I think I'd like to be Darnell in this story oh, okay. because I, when I was writing about him, I kind of had a crush on him. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. I can get He's that. so mysterious even to me, you know, there's he's <laughs> like, I see him as like an American in the, the French resistance kind of activity, but it's the Republic resistance. So yeah, I think I would kind of like to step in his shoes and Mm. see what's going on behind the scenes. Nice. Solve the mystery. Yeah. I think I think you should do it this time, Sarah, this question. I I want to hear how you do it. Creative enough. Yes, you are. No, no. Come on, Sarah. <laughs> Come on, Sarah. You, you, can, you can get dark and weird. I've heard it Frank many times. so good at it. I'll, I'll do this for you, Sarah. But help, next time we do this, I want you to ask this question. I want you to prepare. You've got time to plan before the next okay. one. Okay. So, Laurie, I'm afraid I have some terrible news that I need to break to you. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, you have committed a horrendous, heinous crime. So horrendous and heinous, in fact, that you have been sent down. You're going to death row. Um, first of all, what crime do you think you've committed that's led to this point? It's too political. It's probably anything in Texas that, <laughs> that the You've tried to live. Have... Yeah, I just need to try. <laughs> I probably helped someone or helped a whole slew of women do something terribly illegal and they're, they're using me as an example. 
<laughs> oh man, I feel bad sending your dad to death row after that. That's a really nice, noble thing to do. It wasn't your choice, Frankie. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, you're right. You know what? It's I can't be judge, jury, and executioner. I'm just passing down the sentencing from okay. from the judge and I jury. I hold it against you. <laughs> Thank you. I, we interviewed Robert Crace last week. Uh-huh. and he flat out his answer still cracked me up i asked him what he thought his crime was and he just said oh mass murder it's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like had it there in his back okay. yeah completely <laughs> concerningly very close to the front of his mind which makes me it's a lot easier to send him down for mass murder but i feel bad sending you down okay yeah. not my i'll try and break you out i can't promise anything okay i maybe i'll slip something into your into your meal that can help you escape but what's your death row meal where can i hide the file in your food <laughs> well it's funny i was thinking like i have some food intolerances so it'd probably be everything i can't eat now like baguettes with you know rich butter and all the pastries my husband oh. is french and he also happens to be a wonderful gourmet cook so he he wow. is the cook in the house so he'd probably cook me a really nice meal like a beef bourguignon or something like that into which he would insert some opium so that I would not suffer <laughs> whatever horrible things are in That's store nice. for me yes he was very kind that way so yeah okay so we're gonna get your husband in to cook the meal yes well. I would get him to cook the meal insert okay. something yeah, like if if your insertion of whatever shiv or whatever I would need, <laughs> love shiv, <laughs> brilliant. Yep, a sharpened then, toothbrush. Then the opium would be the second yeah. choice. Yeah, <laughs> or opioid something. <laughs> yeah. So so baguette and butter is the main choice. Baguettes mm-hmm. with beef bourguignon. Yes, mm. and yeah, with a ton of sauce mm. and a and a glass of red wine. Or two or three, you know. I mean, yeah. might as well make the Sounds most of it. Glorious. Almost <laughs> worth it being your last meal. <laughs> <laughs> she can have, I mean, obviously, if not, if you've got intolerances, but you can maybe just don't. Well, we'll talk about that. But, yeah. um, uh, and do you, any dessert or? Dessert. Um, my favorite is um, like a lemon tart. So I think mm. I would have a lemon tart. Refreshing and yeah. nice. Nice. Also cooked by your husband, I'm assuming. Oh, no, he doesn't do pastries or baking. <laughs> okay. I would bake it. Okay. And then into which I would insert. <laughs> there we go. We've cracked it. There's More tools. More tools, yes. Yeah, various various shivs of different sizes. Of <laughs> right. <laughs> do you have well, a selection? <laughs> well, I mean... Unfortunately, despite Frankie's best efforts, I tried. Shiv didn't work. You've, Sorry. By the sounds of it, just died from a massive opium. <laughs> choked <laughs> or choked on a shiv. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Between the two, you yeah. um, right. But you are allowed to be buried with one book. What book would you be buried with? I have a complete collection of Jane Austen novels. It's huge. It's enormous. It can be like a pillow because it's so big <laughs> <laughs> or a weapon. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so I have the whole collection and it, it's it's ridiculous when I try to read in bed because it's so heavy on my lap um, and I can't hold it up or anything. But um, I did go through it once and read through it about 10 or 12 years ago um, in my bed. And that's probably what I would take because it would have all of the it's the complete set 
Mm-hmm. And with, you know, I, I would forget and read it again. <laughs> and, you know, all of the sisters, all of the sisters, are too many sisters to, to, to keep straight. So yeah, definitely. She's my sort of closet crush. Um, yeah. I don't know why when I was in graduate school and, and, and I think when I was in graduate school, it was a long time ago, but that was like supposed to be something you, you didn't tell everybody like Jane Austen. We don't, we don't tell people about that. <laughs> but now it's, I know, I know. I don't know why. She um, endures for a reason. I know. Yeah. Now she's, she's a proper um, person to do. To That's study, a good one. So. Sarah and I don't live too far from her house, actually. I literally drove past Mm. a sign for it at the weekend. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And have you been there? I actually haven't. Have you, Sarah? (laughs) No. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, it sounds sounds like me. I I live in Dallas, and uh, all my life. And I only a couple weekends ago went to the JFK Museum, which is in Dallas, right there, and everybody you know knows about it. Yeah. Go to yeah. go to see uh, Jane Austen's house, and you can well, tell me about do it. it for you. <laughs> yeah, come to the UK, Laurie, and we can all go together. Okay, all right, Thank that's you. brilliant. <laughs> Especially because Jack and Christy live nearby as well. We'll get them in the yeah, car. Yeah, just take a van ride. Perfect road trip to Jane Austen's house. We should get a horse and cart, really, if we're going to yeah. do it properly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Keep it traditional. <laughs> Bundle up, and then you know, get catch a cold, yes. and then have to stay. At the house. Over at the house. Perfect. Yes. There you go. Yeah, I'm on board with this. Yeah, we can all wear fro- like unflattering gowns because I'll just sit <laughs> under the boobs. And I think unless you're really skinny, that's not going to work for me. But okay, we'll think about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the hems of our dresses will can be completely soft and mud. And yeah. Yes. <laughs> good. Exactly. good outing. What a dream. Yeah. Do you have a favorite within the collection of Jane Austen? Probably, well, it's a toss up between Pride and Prejudice mm. and Emma. Yeah, they're both yeah. pretty good, both bangers. Yeah. In their own way. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> yeah, Not bad. quite successful. <laughs> she did okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when your house becomes a museum, that's a pretty good sign that you've done quite well, I think. Yeah. Mm. I was thinking the other day, you know, uh, I, I haven't saved any of my early drafts of my work. Oh. I think that's the tragedy of like working on a computer. You just delete overwrites. So mm. what's going to happen when people yeah. want my my legacy of drafts? Like, no, when they open your museum, that's right. Yeah. I, I won't have. Yeah, that's a really good, good point. For, do, do you find as well? Because I've, I think both Sarah and I have tried various kind of writing things in our own lives. Do you find when you read back on something you wrote a while ago, you're like, oh my God, this is the worst <laughs> thing I've ever read in my life. Is that one of the reasons why you delete the draft maybe? or? <laughs> yeah, I can see that totally. Yes. Um, the answer is yes. And in fact, when somebody says, oh, I bought your book and I'm like, great which one and they're like song of the orange moons that's the first book i wrote i'm like (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) i have a little mild heart attack because i'm so different now from you know baby me um yeah right out of school writing so yeah interesting do you think your style's evolved a lot since then i think it has Mm. when i was in graduate school and i think this is a trait of a lot of graduate students all we cared about was being lyrical and right. how beautiful our sentences sounded. And so sometimes it was a little gratuitous, I think, in my writing. I mean, some some of the lines I still think are lovely, but hmm. uh, it's, um, yeah, I think that you can overindulge sometimes 
in your own the the lyricism of your own words so and then you sort of forget about plotting and you know things like that that maybe maybe a little important to a book (laughs) the art is what's important yeah yeah Yeah. sometimes yeah yeah Mm. I'm not great at plotting (laughs) (laughs) so so you're a pantser not a plotter would you say I am I think I'm equally a pantser and a plotter I I tell myself that I'm well for short stories I'm a pantser like you cannot plot short stories um full stop I'll, I'll stand behind that but for um for novels I plot the points like this is going to happen in this chapter um and that's all I have I have no idea what what's going to be written in the chapter so I pants it through the chapter but I kind of had an end goal in mind and that sort of keeps me on track to the end good balance I would yeah. say and then we have to ask as well I suspect the answer is yes because you talked about NaNoWriMo are you working on anything at the moment I am I seem to have a um, an obsession with travel because Mm -hmm. this new manuscript is about two sisters on a road trip and a much older one and a younger one who are they're estranged and they come together and um, essentially the older one has been trying and cannot have a baby mm-hmm. has done everything right in her life, but can't have a baby. And the younger one is the black sheep of the family and she's barely 18 and she shows up with a newborn that she can't take care of. <laughs> so, so it causes, <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah, it's sort of the, the conflict between the sisters, but you know, it's a relationship story too. And it's also a thriller because there's a, a violent boyfriend on their on their you know tape that they don't know about so yes I was about to say excellent That's not love we love a violent boyfriend <laughs> great <laughs> we won't yeah. cheer for the violent boyfriend on a hotel but no you know no. keep things interesting though from a reader's perspective yeah <laughs> yes. and so is that that's a work in progress at the moment yeah mm-hmm. mm, exciting yeah. Oh, I'm in the very sort of nerve wracking point of the book where I'm like just shy of a hundred pages. So still things are like starting to happen. So I'm a little bit nervous about where it's going to go, but that's good. That's good. Right. I mean, that if you're, good. If you're nervous, playful. maybe your <laughs> maybe your reader will be nervous too. Yeah, yeah definitely. I think that will make it more authentic. So exciting. Yeah. We'll have to, you have to keep us up to date with that because that sounds okay. brilliant. And totally I will. Exciting. Well, Laurie, thank you so much for your time. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Yes. Oh, I've had so much fun. Oh, good. I'm so <laughs> thank glad. Thank you so much. I really do feel guilty about killing you now. <laughs> You've been such a joy. Well, you have given me a shiv. I did. So... I gave you several shivs. Yeah. yeah. It's You've kind of on you yourself. that you died. <laughs> you didn't try hard enough, Laurie. It's uh, on me. <laughs> We even laced the pie and everything, the tart, but never mind. We've done everything we could. <laughs> but thank you so much. Where can people follow you on social media? So I'm um, Jolie Texas, J-O-L-I-E Texas on Instagram. And then Lori from Texas on Twitter. I think I put Texas and everything. Um, and then <laughs> on Facebook, it's Lori Ann Stevens writes. So please follow me. <laughs> oh yeah, please. And your Lori- and your Laurie Ann Stevens.com is your website. Yes, that's my website. Wonderful. 
Oh, thank you so much. And for people listening at home, if you would like to, as well as following Laurie, go and do that right now. But then also follow, if you're not already, the Red and Buried podcast on various social channels, or you can email us at redandburiedpodcast at gmail.com. Yes, go go listen. They're absolutely delightful. (laughs) Aw, thank you. Have our moments. Very, I edit it well. <laughs> Let's yes. put it that way. <laughs> yeah, Frankie removes all the wildly offensive things I say. Oh, and... <laughs> I, I'm building quite the dossier, Laurie, on Sarah. Uh, the blackmail <laughs> material is vast. <laughs> so. yeah, but thanks for right. listening, everybody. Thank you again, Laurie. Thank and you. Thank you. We'll be back soon. Bye. <laughs> we were so good at ending this podcast. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Hey guys, my name is Tony Black, podcaster and author, and I'm here to tell you about Partisan, a podcast about politics and history in film and entertainment. I'll be joined by guests as we discuss films, TV shows, and maybe a little bit more, examining political and historical topics, such as how Elvis intersects with black cultural history. In Lerman's film, the idea of the black characters are maybe kind of they're used as catalysts to basically move Elvis forward in his career. I think that that's how I saw it. The rise and fall of Richard Nixon. It seems to be historians who to agree with this is that he was the first president that really capitalized on the evangelical vote and politicized them. The disturbing class satire in society and much, much more. Partisan is free to download on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Partisan Pod. I hope you'll vote with your feet and join us on the journey. Partisan.